Welcome to Trust Issues, a podcast by Kepler Trust Intelligence. Please be aware that there can be a time lag when we release podcasts, meaning time-sensitive information may no longer be accurate at the time of publication. Also note that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It's strongly recommended that if you are a private investor, independent financial advice should be taken before making any investment or financial decision. Finally, Kepler Partners LLP has a relationship with the company covered in this podcast, which may impair its objectivity. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Trust Issues. This week, I am joined by Elsa Craig from uh, International Biotechnology Trust. Uh, so, Elsa, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, perhaps to, to kick things off, I think you know most people listening who are familiar with with the trust and with uh, you and Marek will probably know that there's there's been some uh, some change at IBT over the past twelve months. Uh, so, could you talk a bit about what's going on there and and the move to Schroders and so on? Absolutely. Thanks, David. And thanks for having me. Um, Yes. So back in January, investors will remember that um, SV Health Investors served notice on the fund um, uh, and wanted to focus on on the venture side of their business. Um, And in the meantime, the board of directors who work on behalf of shareholders for IBT have been working furiously hard uh, to find a a respectable, um, good new home. Uh, they had tw- over 20 interested parties, all of whom could take on an investment trust such as this. And they whittled it down to a short list of six. Um, and then the final name was Schroders. And we plan to move over um, by the end of the calendar year, end of November time. Great. And is it sort of business as usual? There's not going to be any substantial changes to the team or how you invest and, and that sort of thing? Great question. Absolutely. So um, the board consulted with the top shareholders of the fund and got their feedback on what they would want to see with the change. Um, And there there was a generally consensus view that they wanted to keep the mandate of the fund the same and keep the team. So the board um, bear that in mind when they considered all of the different options in front of them. Okay, great. Well, um, we can turn to the to the sort of the actual investing side of things. we spoke about a year ago, um, and you know, I would say in general for anyone listening, I, I would recommend either reading uh, our latest note on IBT or, or going back and listening to that, just because we're not really going to do an intro into what the fund does and all that sort of thing. So if you aren't if you aren't familiar with the trust, it's probably worth uh, familiarizing yourself with it a bit before listening to, to what we're going to discuss. But nonetheless, I mean, last time we spoke, uh, we sort of discussed the fact that biotech is is slightly odd in the sense that it, it should enjoy secular tailwinds you know there's a, there's a kind of consistent demand for biotech but the investment in the sector is a bit more cyclical um you know at that point it felt like we we're sort of seeing a downturn of over after a kind of boom during the pandemic uh but things have since started to bounce back again is that is that a fair comment Yes, and you're right. We write um, monthly blogs, which we put on our um, website. And one of those blogs, we addressed exactly this point, which is that it is cyclical. The sentiment, uh, investor sentiment in biotech does seem to go in and out of favour. And so um, Marek and I have been working and following stocks in biotech for over 20 years now. And we've seen these cycles play out um, in the past. Uh, however, the one that we're recently experiencing seems to be very short. So normally these cycles take sort of three to five years. 
but because of the pandemic most likely um this cycle was sort of exacerbated and in the blog we have a, a picture of a wheel effectively that goes through the different stages of this cycle ranging from totally out of favor we call that despair no one wants to invest in biotech no one wants to touch this space all the way up to absolute exuberance um, and we would say that during the COVID pandemic era, when uh, we had success with the vaccines and successful um, data on treatments for the for the virus, there was a lot of over exuberance. We had huge valuations for early stage biotech companies, uh, multi billion dollar valuations, for example, for a company that hadn't yet had clinical data. Um, so that we classified as as the sort of highs. And then since then, we've had the complete inverse of that. So we've had a major market downturn um, and we saw some lows in the June era of 2022. However, things have improved. So we're up about 20% since the lows. The Nasdaq Biotech Index, which is the benchmark that we're compared to, is up to over 20% um, in that period in dollar terms. Um, so there has been a recovery. It's slightly muted, partly because um, any of our shareholders would know uh, they're not seeing those returns um, because of the currency effects from dollar sterling. But also um, there's been a massive move in the broader Nasdaq market. So it still looks like biotech slightly out of favour in comparison. Um, but what's driven this rebound from the lows in June? Well, We've seen a pickup in M&A, which I think we must have spoken about last time. With these valuations coming down, um, it's not a surprise that big pharma and big biotech with cash piles are going to take advantage of those valuations and start picking up biotech companies. And remember, these, these companies have um, structural problems in that there's a big patent cliff coming up at the end of this decade. They need to fill the void of revenues. Um, and not only that, but we've had um, new legislation in the US called uh, within the Inflation Reduction Act. And within that, Medicare is going to be able to negotiate prices with the top 10 selling drugs in Medicare. Um, and so all of this puts pressure on biopharma companies to find new sources of revenues. Um, and that's why we're seeing this pickup in M&A. Uh, and actually, we've had six M&A deals within the fund in our financial year. I, I'm, I'm all this fresh in my mind because I've been writing the annual report and the end of our fiscal year is August 31st and we're now a week into September. Um, so we've had six deals, uh, which has helped performance. And we're seeing um, in the market a slight opening of the IPO window. So a handful of companies coming to market, whereas a year or so ago uh, that had completely dried up. And then another kind of green shoot, if you like, for this market rebound is um, secondary offerings as well are going are going well. So companies that have reported good data and are doing uh, high quality and are doing well, they are being rewarded and they can raise money. Um, so we're seeing all of these shoots of recovery. And then in parallel to that, what's the industry doing to tackle this glut? Well, it's business as usual for those guys. So they're, you know, they're continuing to innovate and continuing to develop drugs. But because of this reduction in, in funding from the capital markets, they're having to address the um, shortage of cash. And what we're seeing is companies consolidate. We're seeing um, it's like, like mergers of weakness, if you like. We're seeing a bit of pickup in shareholder activism where shareholders are demanding uh, a change of strategy, if you like, in a company. We're seeing major cost cutting, um, redundancies, et cetera, and 
cutting programs that weren't necessarily core to the business. And this this is all good news in our view. You know, it's increasing the quality of companies that are out there for us to invest in. It's probably removing the companies that shouldn't have listed, for example, um, in the in the boom times. So we're going to see a reduction in the number of companies um, out there after seeing a huge increase in the number of companies out there. So all of this is uh, kind of pointing to the fact with kind of mid cycle on that little wheel I was speaking about. We're not grossly out of favour as we were last year. And we're very much not anywhere near the highs of the COVID era. And to put some numbers to that, the Nasdaq Biotech Index is trading at around 4,000 and it peaked at 5,500 in the COVID era. Wow. So sort of mid-Darwinian process as well, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, OK, so so one of the points you touched on there was uh, M&A in the portfolio. I think you mentioned six companies being being picked off. Um Presumably, that means you're also seeing cash inflow, so the cash benefit of that. Um, how are you putting that money back to work, or have you put that money back to work yet? Yes. So um, uh, we've had uh, like uh, the, the months are the twelve months are to August to August. So I'm talking about that specific period. We have M and A in the fund all the time. We've had a huge number over the past, um, you know, three, five, ten years. It's a consistent theme of this sector, uh, and we've had of the six in this fiscal year. We've had two very big ones. So um, Horizon was our top position in the fund and Amgen announced their intention to acquire those guys back in December of last in 2022. And then um, following that in March, Seagen, which also then happened to be our biggest position in the fund, um, Pfizer announced an interest into a a bid offer for that company. Um, and, And that was 2023 this year. And so that's huge, vast amounts of cash to be invest. Um, uh, and what we've been doing is because we see a lot of value in the small mid cap market that hasn't really recovered in the same way as the kind of mid stage companies. Um, we've been putting some money to work there. We see, you know, really good opportunities. We think that the market's ready um, uh, for in the rebound recovery stage of the biotech market. So we're we're investing in those companies, but cautiously. So we don't just have a huge amount of money on one company if it's a higher risk company a development stage company we will probably invest in more than one you know a handful of names um and you know have a keen eye on when they're due to have clinical readouts and we'll, we can talk about that later on and how we manage those readouts um so that's how we were deploying money um and uh, another approach we have is it, we would invest in a basket of companies so for example if there's a disease area that we felt had a particularly high medical need, we could invest in um, two or three or four companies, all trying to tackle that market with different approaches. Um, and that's played out, actually. Some of the money we invested from Horizon and Seagen has gone into our kidney basket. And we've had a recent acquisition out of that basket. Chinook was acquired by Novartis for three, um, just over $3 billion dollars. And that's helpful because the whole group of those names then get benefits. And you've had, you know, a sort of lateral positive effect in the other names. But it's important to point out that um, we were very lucky, actually. We exited our position in Horizon after the bid announcement, um, similarly in in Seagen. And then a real shock to the system sector um, was when in May, the FTC, so the Federal Trade Commission, the Competition Commission equivalent in, in the US, uh, announced they were investigating the deal, those, those, well, at least the Horizon deal, 
um, and then announced the CEAGEN deal. And it, it transpires that the FTC are investigating and, and going to look into big biopharma acquisitions. And these are big deals. So these are multi-billion dollar deals. Um, and that really put a shockwaves through the sector. And I think that's put a bit of a lid on some of the recovery we had seen in the first half um, in the second half. And the market's been a bit flat in that time as people try and understand what the FTC are doing. Um, equally, is this going to stop one of the major um, uh, means of returns as an investor in biotech? And then thankfully, um, just in recent days, it looks like the FTC have stepped back from um, at least their intervention with the Amgen Horizon deal. And if you look on Bloomberg this morning, there's a, a headline from the Wall Street Journal that says, um, FTC's bark proves worse than its bite. So hopefully, hopefully um, that risk uh, on these bigger transactions has lessened. Um, we don't have positions in these companies at the moment, so it's not going to directly affect us anyway. And like I said, we're moving down the spectrum at the moment into the smaller mid-cap companies, which I don't think the FTC is sort of below the radar deals, hopefully, that the FTC might not be too um, um, irked about. Okay, so yeah, one of the things you, you sort of finished off on there was was the exposure you have to small caps, and and you kind of touched on how you you construct almost like a basket of small caps in a particular area that you think is you know likely to to prove attractive moving forward. Um, you know, if you look across, I think if you look across the biotech sector as a whole people tend to see larger companies as sort of like safe haven type investments um, and they're sort of less volatile as a result of that. You are actually, and have historically been as well, underweight large caps, um, but have still sort of managed to outperform, but then with lower volatility as well, at, down the benchmark, I should say. So how does that sort of gel? How does that work? Yeah, so, I mean, these companies are good companies, Gilead's, Amgen's, Biogen's, and Vertex and Regeneron. Those are the large cap names in our in our sector. Um, and we do invest in all of them on and off, um, but they grow more slowly. And so we want to invest in the sort of higher growth end of the market, the more innovative end of the market. And that's obviously where we're more likely to see M&A. Um, saying that, you're right, we have managed to keep our volatility below the benchmark, which is dominated by these names. And there's a multitude of reasons why our volatility is um, is less. And it, it, it stems from, uh, for example, around these binary events and how we um, trade around so-called binary events. And I think everyone listening to this will be aware that clinical trial readouts can be absolutely catastrophic, especially UK investors that have touched UK biotech companies in the past. Um, uh, and so what we try and do at IBT is lessen that risk by reducing exposure and selling into the event um, as much as we can predict the timing of it, of course. And then if the event is positive, we will buy it back. And if that's more expensive, at least it's less risky. Um, so we try and we try and capital preserve in that respect equally. Uh, and, and the reason we do that is because it's very difficult to get money back when you have a blow up in biotech. You know, you've really got to fight hard in other um, companies to try and get that performance back, and we don't really want to be in that position. So I'm sure that keeps a that keeps a lid on some of our volatility. Equally, um, diversification. So uh, we have uh, numerous uh, investments within the fund. Plus, we have the venture position, which gives us sort of non-market exposure, um, but industry exposure for biotech companies. 
Um, we take smaller positions in, in the higher risk names. Um, we have this basket approach like, that I mentioned. Uh, and then also we use our gearing tactically as well, um, which we can come on to in a bit more detail. Um, but all of these factors, I think, play a role in keeping the lid on volatility. Yeah. So on, on the gearing point, uh, last time, I think last time we spoke, you were, you were leveraged at about 10% of NAV, uh, which was, again, at the time, comparatively high relative to your average, which I think was about 4%. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but uh, that was, I think, from, that was from our last note. So um, how did that sort of play out? I mean, did that, I, I'm presuming that you, the reason that took place was just because you felt you were in the sort of downturn of the cycle and that the upside was coming. And has that sort of played out? Again, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but and has that sort of played out in the way that you hope to add? Yes. Yeah, so taking a step back, we're a closed ended fund, so we can gear. Now, in the past couple of years, we've had this major downturn and we've reached the peak of that. We've maxed out on our gearing on occasions for the first time since the credit crisis in 2008 and 9. So it's been, you know, we've really backed up the truck on occasion because we felt this sector is just so oversold. Um, uh, and suffice to say, we do see vicious swings in this sector and vicious swings in individual companies. And we will take advantage of that. We will take money off the table and we will close down the gearing and then um, up the gearing intra-month. The gearing uh, positions that we announce every month on our fact sheets are sort of balance sheet snapshot gearing uh, position, um, but it does wobble around. We're very unlikely, if ever, to go to a cash position. Um, in the last year or so, I'd say we've been hovering around high single digit 10% uh, gearing um, just because we are pretty optimistic on the outlook of the sector. Okay, I mean, and another uh, sort of related point to that is, uh, and you've kind of alluded to this as well, is is that portfolio turnover in the trust, I think, would be, would, you know, on a, on a headline level would look comparatively high. Um, so is that just part of, of the sort of risk management process that you use uh, in terms of managing the news flow you see and things like that? Yeah, I mean, as I touched on that, we do see vicious moves in this sector um, and we actively trade around that. Uh, and the binary event strategy absolutely is going to increase our turnover, the fund. And then also M&A transactions. So if you remember, Seagen and Horizon were our biggest positions, you know, chunky positions in the fund that we need to reinvest. So that inherently boosts our turnover. Um, this isn't going to change. This is the way we manage IBT. We're going to keep it that way. Trading now is incredibly cheap versus 10 years ago, sort of low single digit basis points and the value that you can get from these huge moves in companies, sometimes on absolutely no news, a company share price can double in value. Um, uh, and we will take advantage of that. Touching again on, this, on the small cap space, you, you've, you've mentioned also that you have some exposure to more VC style unquoted uh, companies. You know, I think if you look, across, regardless of biotech, so in general, the, the smaller caps and, and unquoted more startup type businesses have had a very tough almost two years now. Has that sort of, are you see any sort of change in that in terms of sentiment? And I think the general view going into, say, the rate hiking cycle was that a lot of these firms um, were going to get hit very hard. Um, has, that, has that actually materialized? And do you sort of see the, the kind of Darwinian process happening there where maybe the companies that are actually have good quality are kind of coming out on top and those that maybe shouldn't have really come to market are sort of dropping off? Yeah, I mean, you're answering my question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're right. Um, we're seeing a consolidation 
uh, within that area. There's, I would say, argue that's still out of favor, um, especially the small cap companies. Multiple companies are trading at a valuation less than their cash position in the bank. Um, uh, so it's pretty dire and gloomy. Uh, that's not to say that there isn't value there. And like I've said, we have been dipping our toes in this space in recent months and will continue to do so. Uh, when you see a rebound and a recovery in biotech, it often starts with the larger cap companies and then trickles down as people are more willing to take on risk. So, um, uh, yeah, we're absolutely interested in this area and will continue to um, in, uh, invest. Perhaps to finish off, I think if I look at things from the outsider or generalist perspective on, on the biotech space or the, or the sort of medical space, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, the main development this year seems that seems to really attracted investment is developments in obesity drugs. Um, in terms of impact on the market, that seems to be really a phenomenon that's affecting larger companies uh, that might not necessarily fit within your purview. Um, so is that having a, is that having any impact on the portfolio? And it's more broadly, do you see any sort of interesting trends or, or developments that you think the market is going to be maybe a bit more excited about as we head into 2024? Sure. Yeah, you're right. So the obesity um, story has been very much Lillian Novo's uh, large cap pharma um, plays. These guys are, are, are the ones with the drugs that are benefiting obese patients and the demand is huge. Um, it's it's been astronomical this whole situation and it's sort of not really been involving our names um there are splattering of companies that have drugs in development that are maybe more convenient or um looking to try and get better efficacy etc so trying to improve on on the offering from Lilia novo um but again it's not really something that we're exposed to or that it hasn't really benefited biotech as a whole um but you know suffice to say there are the areas that we're looking at are sort of the high science um, cell therapy, gene therapy, all of these new platform technologies, RNA therapies that have emerged in the last decade uh, with products and proven products on the market. This is an early stage anymore. Um, those are the areas they're investing in and they can really make um, profound effects on areas like oncology, whereas before many patients would have died. Cell therapies are effectively curing these patients. So incredible advancements in science. And another interesting trend is that we're seeing the approvals for new chemical entities out of the FDA, the regulator in America, increasingly are made up of these gene therapies and cell therapies. So that's a greater proportion of the new drugs coming onto the market and the new innovation. Um, and that's why we think these are the sort of companies that will get picked up as well by Big Pharma with their marketing muscle and their distribution um, power. Uh, so that's the sort of area that we're invested in. OK, well, maybe one actually final follow up question to that is I think you know, we've seen in the news over the past couple of weeks that there's been a change in the US in terms of, um, sort of how uh, pharma companies can, can can bid for pricing or so, something like this. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I think. I think there's a perception that basically U.S. Uh, health people pay, paying for healthcare kind of funds the entire uh, drug development industry. So I don't know if that's completely true, but I think there's some fears that because of the change in pricing that you see, that may go away. I mean, is that is that a fair comment? And perhaps more broadly, do you think that's something uh, investors in the sector should be fearful of or concerned about? Well. 
if we take a step back and I'll quickly explain a high level what's happened. Um, so every it, drug pricing in the US is absolutely a political football that is banded about heading into midterm elections, um, presidential elections. Um, and the Democrat Party have managed to pass something to quote address the drug pricing issue. So this, you know, this is being hailed as a huge success. They're going into the next Biden can hold this up and wave this around and saying he's achieved something. And what he's achieved is within the Inflation Reduction Act, which is addressing lots and lots of different things, um, they have stated that Medicare, which makes up just over 20% of the buyer of drugs in America, so others of private insurance, out of profit, pro um, pocket, etc., Medicare, so elderly people's um, payment scheme, uh, will select 10 drugs, blockbuster drugs, the top 10 selling drugs that have been, I'm going to be, I'm going to make this very high level, that have been on the market for a long time, they will be negotiated, their prices will be negotiated by Medicare come 2026. Um, and then every year, more drugs will come onto that list. Now, who sells these drugs? They are sold by big pharma, they're blockbusters, and they're approaching genericization because it's the end of their cycle. So what we're seeing is, yes, an impact to these companies for the revenues for those drugs. Um, but when you whittle down, and of course, the wholesale side have completely investigated this, basically, in, in, in effect, they're bringing the genericization forward by a year or so. So what's, what's the result of that? The result of that is pharma and biotech companies, these big companies that own these big blockbuster drugs, need more revenues. And how are they going to get that? They're going to get that from acquiring smaller biotech companies. You know, the, the business model of internal innovation that happened 20, 30 years ago in big pharma is very much yesterday's business model. Today, they've realized you cannot force people to invent in new ideas come from universities, they get funded by the likes of SB Health Investors, venture funds, then they list, um, uh, and that's how they're born. That's how genuine innovation evolves in this sector. And that Big Pharma realise that, and they will be investing their cash through the acquisition of these companies and the patent expiries, plus the Inflation Reduction Act just puts more pressure on them to, um, to act and buy new companies in our view. Excellent. Well, I think that's a very optimistic and uh, positive moment at which to finish. So uh, Elsa, thanks very much uh, for, for joining us and good luck with the move in the months ahead. Thank you very much, David.